0: In today's show, we look back at the NBA preseason, 14 takeaways, I think, I think 14. Michael Bolton? Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always. At RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline is where the game starts. Thank you for making LockedOnFantasyBasketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. Well, we're here. The preseason is done. We are four days away. Four days away from the NBA season starting. So I'm going to go through on this show just some things that were interesting. I'm going to talk a little bit about rotations, but I am going to have two shows coming up in the next two days, highlighting the rotations, my projected starting groups, which some will be wrong, some will be right, for the season. That'll come up in the next couple of days. We'll also have a week one preview show. We'll have an injury update show. We'll have a what to watch for show, and then we get straight into the regular season schedule on, for Tuesday's, uh, two-game opening slate. So that's all coming up, but today we're looking at information from preseason that I think we've gathered. Warnie. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tari Eason is good. Number one takeaway. But he is still not starting. Be absolutely prepared for Stephen Silas to limit him and play him off the bench. In every preseason game, he has had either one or two of Jabari Smith, Eric Gordon, and Jay Sean Tate out. Right? So... All those guys will probably play ahead of him. And much like I talked about in a show the other day about Tyrese Maxey, and we'll talk about that later on, is that Eason had these big games. And then in the last game, he had nine and six in 22 minutes without Tate and without Smith. And we highlight the big ones, rightfully so, because he was really good. But then the bad ones or the subpar ones or the fact that he's still not in line for a big minute role, you're going to be disappointed early on. I'm almost sure of that. Eric Gordon is going to start. Jay Sean Tate is going to play. Jabari Smith is going to play. And Eason is probably going to sit at 20 minutes. Now, that's not to say you drop him straight away. But there are definitely going to be people who go, man, what are the Rockets doing? Why is Eason not playing? It it is going to happen. He is not going to play 25, 30 minutes a night, opening night. The pattern in the preseason tells us he won't do that. So just be prepared for it. Just, you have to be prepared for that. It is going to happen. And I think we might end up in a situation like Rocket's starting center now, El and Shangoon, where Eason is in a limited role until Gordon is traded or Tater's dealt, which I don't even know they can do that straight away because they just re-signed him. Um, well, they can't do it straight away. They have to wait till January, I think. Um, that he won't be in a large role. Like he'll just be in a small role and it might not be worth holding. That is the thing we're going to have to uh, think about. Benedict Matherin. Man, he looks awesome. Matherin. Oh, he's great. He's, he's fantastic. You know what? Matherin had some moments. He still was in the preseason outside the top 100 fantasy players because he did average almost 20 points per game, but he didn't really hit any threes. He got one assist. He had two steals in four games, didn't block any shots. Right, The peripherals struggle, meaning... The way, and this is sort of what he looked like coming out of college, is that he needs big volume to be useful for fantasy. He is still a really good add at the end of a draft, a really good last twelfth or thirteenth round pick, and because getting that scoring volume, which I think he'll get, his ability to get to the free throw was free throw line was really encouraging. But Buddy Healed and Krista Wate is still there, so and he played these last two preseason games without Tyrese Halliburton. Remember that fact as well. Um, that. Again, we might look at... When you love People love a rookie. Man, he's a rookie. He's dominating. He's dominating. Yeah, but that... Let's see when things matter, right? And he's going to need big volume and at least average efficiency. And I'm not sure he gets those. These are... Yeah, you know, Eason and Mathur, two rookies we're talking about here, are absolutely worth having. They're absolutely worth drafting. And they're probably going to be worth dropping. Not yet. And we make that decision soon. But just be aware of that. This is not... Like, he did not come out and blow us away, even from a fantasy perspective. Like, he ranked lower than Royce O'Neill and Eric Gordon and Alex Caruso and Montrez Harrell and Jamal Kane and Charles Bassey, who currently plays for nobody, and yeah, Marcus Morris. Like, just remember all those things. His game is not at this point particularly suited to fantasy basketball. I've been banging on about these two most of the season. Jalen Green and Cousin Kevin Porter Jr. Green was originally ranked outside the top 100. Porter's been outside the top 100, I think, the entire time. I think Yahoo updated their rankings today. I'm not going to do a show, hey, here's Yahoo's updated rankings at this point because your drafts are happening right now, right? So I'm not going to do that, but you can check that and you can check out the projections. But basically, every player that I thought was ranked too low has coincidentally been moved to the spot where I thought they should be. Green was a guy that I've had in the 40s and 50s uh, most of the preseason, and I've had Porter in the 60s and 70s. And I think what they've done in the preseason would justify me having that level of hype on them. And again, I'm not hyped on Kevin Porter, but I think he's going to put up good numbers. So I think if you drafted him in round six or round seven and Jalen Green in round four or round five, you'd be pretty, you'd be sitting pretty happy with where they are at the moment. I think they've been good. Yeah, you know, that's a lot of rocket stuff. I think Sengun also struggled a little bit, but last game, I thought he looked pretty good. Even in limited minutes, he put up numbers right across the board. So again, while I do think uh, Shangun has been priced out somewhat, there was a little bit of encouragement in that last game um, that we saw from him, which is which is always good. We go from Rockets to former Rockets. Just something to watch, not convinced yet. But Christian would hit his free throws. Right, that is massive. This was a guy that when he played in the G League, when he played moments for the Sixers and Bucks and Hornets even I think the beginning of his Pistons tenure maybe, he hit free throws, 78 80%. And then he forgot how, and he was going at 60%. And it killed his value. It made him a punt free throw guy. In the preseason, it was only three games, but it was 12 attempts and he went 10 of 12. That's big. That's really important. So he finished the preseason in 22 minutes, averaging 17 and 8 with over two threes on 53 and 83. That moves him into the top 60 sort of range. In fact, he was the 22nd ranked player in the preseason, even in limited minutes. Now, he's going to have his minutes capped a little bit because of the role. But if he's hitting free throws, it changes so much. It opens him up to so much more value. And not only, yeah, well, if you're punting free throws, you knew where his value was anyway. But hitting free throws actually improve, improves your scoring too. Talk about with percentages, how they're multi-category influences, And you hit your free throws, not only does that take you away from being a punt free throw guy, but it makes your scoring go up. And Wood, what, and who, I don't know that this has been solved. It might not have been. But he's got a track record in the past of being a good free throw shooter. It fell off. Maybe that's a mental thing, being in Houston. Like, what am I doing with this garbage? Maybe. Christian Wood, not always the most resolute. Um, maybe that's part of it. And maybe he's in Dallas because, man, this is great. And he's confident and he's, bang, let's hit free throws. It is distinctly possible. So it is worth being aware of. It's also worth being aware that BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your, you know what BetOnline? Not football betting, basketball betting info this season because this is a basketball podcast and we're heading into the basketball season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. That includes the NBA. It includes the NFL, which we are up to week six this week. So you can go check that out. And of course, Major League Baseball playoffs are out there as well. I'm going to pick one of these random NFL games. The Buccaneers are nine and a half point favorites against the Steelers. Fair enough. Steelers are bad. I'm not sure the Bucs are good, but they're better than the Steelers. But whatever game it is you want, whatever sport it is you want, BetOnline has you covered, which also includes live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. You can check Major League Baseball playoffs, the start of the NHL season, the start of the NBA season, MMA, boxing, and golf. So head to BetOnline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline is where the game starts. Okay. It's got a San Antonio. Devin Vassell and horse Keldon Johnson. Whose horse is that? They're going to get a lot of shots. They are going to get a ton of shots. We'll talk more about the rotation of the Spurs in the rotation show. Um, but they are going to shoot a lot. Now there's going to be nights where efficiency is a problem. I think both of those guys have a shot at the top 50. Efficiency and lack of defense probably holds Calden back. The sell's likely to be more efficient, probably takes more threes and gets more steals. Both of them will struggle in terms of playmaking. But they are going to get a ton of shots, it looks like. Especially when they're surrounded by Trey Jones, Jakob Pertl and Jeremy Sohan, which is what um, what it looks like it'll be. Again, we'll talk about that more in the rotation show. Sohan, now! And I get to do that a lot. So they're going to take a lot of shots. So volume, points leagues, and you're punting field goals, you're going to be pretty happy with the value of Vassell, who started out ranked in the 240s, which is stupid, um, came into like 120, which was dumb, came into 90, which was dumb, and now I believe he's at 70, which is basically spot on, but also maybe get a little value out of him. They're going to have big years. I don't know why it took so long for a lot of people to click onto that. We started with Tari Ty- and now we're going to talk Tyrese Maxix it's a similar thing, and I talked about this on one of the mock draft shows. You might not have seen it. Everyone was ready to um, you know, go the old whole hog on Tyrese Maxi. Man, this guy, all-star, breakout, most improved. He's better than Harden. 20 points a game, 15 minutes, 80% shooting. Wow, he never misses. All right, and then he scored nine points on 23% shooting and not one person said a single thing about it. And that is totally fine because you don't need to highlight shooting on people as I'm highlighting a bad performance. But for us, it matters. We can't go in there and go, well, I'm only going to use Tyrese Maxey on the games that he's really good because you can't do that. And the fact that Tyrese Maxey, despite all of this hype and all this unbelievable shooting, he wasn't even a top 40 player in the preseason. He averaged one rebound and two assists a game. He did get 1.5 steals, and he shot unbelievably, right? But everything about what he does is going to be tied to this field goal percentage, which if it's not there, there's nothing backing it up. I think he's still being drafted in the... I, I thought people might start to reach. He's still being drafted in the right area in that round... Back end, round five, round six, round seven zone. But his supporting stats, like I've had someone tell me he's going to finish ahead of Harden in fantasy, which is crazy to me. This bloke will take two weeks to get as many assists as Harden does in one game. And it is tied to how efficient he is. You have a good game where the shots go in 80%. Mainstream NBA media doesn't care about that. They don't. They go, man, man, he's unbelievable. Twenty-five points. Look at the efficiency. Whereas we sit there and go, uh, yeah, that's not no chance of sticking. Like, there's no way that that continues. And we have to understand that. And we need to know what else is happening because that one game looks great, but nine points on twenty-three percent shooting kills. It hurts so much. And that's the thing we have to balance where the value is. And I think, as a general rule, the fantasy community has done pretty well at that, but just need to be able to. And it makes me feel like such a downer highlighting or, or yeah, shit performances. Because you know, it is, hey, but what about when he sucks? But it is important for us because we look at averages. We look at total numbers over a week. And in a matchup, it's not pick and choose. Well, you played well here and I'm going to slot that big game in. And therefore, that killed it. Done. Finished. Everything's sorted. That's important to note. This is also massive. Dylan Brooks looks like the third option. Hallelujah. I don't know why it took so long to get here. Morant and Bain are taking the shots and Brooks, he looks terrible, he's taking fewer shots. He's still missing a lot of them, but he's taking fewer shots. This all but eliminates Dylan Brooks' category league value, I think, from a 12-team format. Points league that's maybe there, but the reason he was able to get value in a points league is he's taking a lot of shots, he was missing a lot, but some would go in. So he'd get some points league value. If he is rightfully seeding that first or second option to Bain and Morant, instead of having equal usage with Jar, then it kills Brooks' value but it distinctly helps what Desmond Bain's able to do. So I have bumped Bain up a little bit because that's what we worried about, that the fact that Bain didn't play with both Morant and Brooks last season. And when he did in those 150 minutes, Bain had 17% usage. This preseason, Des Bain has a usage of, where's the number? 27%. Like, that's a massive difference. Dylan Brooks has a usage of 23%. Never thought I'd see the day, but that's where we're at. And it looks like, we'll see how it goes in the the regular season. But that's where we're at. Joshua Primo played one preseason game. Now, I don't think he's going to start over Trey Jones. But what I do think he does, there is an impact on Trey here. I think that the upside of Trey Jones gets limited. Yeah, Primo was really good. But we also have to remember it was against the Thunder. And he shot in that game 70%. But it's not just about, wow, we scored 24 points in 22 minutes or whatever it was off the bench. Because Primo did that, and that was really good. But it was how comfortable he looked handling the ball and dribbling and setting up some stuff. Now, I thought Primo as a rookie was really disappointing and didn't really flash anything to me. But he did show some things in the G League with some ball handling, but I wasn't convinced it was going to happen. I'm still not convinced he's going to be an NBA point guard at all, right? But what I do think now is that that little game he flashed, and the fact that Popovich keeps talking him up and talking him up and talking him up, Makes me think that instead of Trey Jones playing 31 or 32 minutes, that he might play 28 or 29 and Primo gets 27 off the bench. And Primo's fine as a last-round pick. I'm not sure he's got the greatest fantasy game, not like a Trey Jones who could average 8 assists and 1.6 steals. Yeah, Primo might be 15 points on, 40% shooting with 4 assists, which isn't all that valuable, but he's worth a crack. And I think he, one of his impacts is going to be impacting the value of Trey Jones. The Flaming Alf Alf Stewart. Is that you, Mr. Stewart? Well, who the hell else do you think it'd be? Get in here, you pair of flaming glass! We heard about it. Actually, let's try it. Let's go back. End of last season, last month, no one was caring about the Pistons. I was. He was started to take threes. Ah, oh, okay. All right, let's watch this. Summer League, just bombing. Yeah, all right. Summer League, who knows? Right? Kai Jones was bombing as well. Preseason, Isaiah Stewart is bombing. He's bombing. And I think they want him to be a power forward. And I, I, if he's going to take 10 threes a game, which he did last game, he probably can work next to Jalen Duran long-term. Now, Marvin Bagley and Jalen Duran don't work together at all. And Bagley's now hurt. And I think with Boyan Bogdanovich there, they're going to start Bogdanovich and have Stewart at center. But long-term, I, I think they want to try Stewart and Duran as a combination together. So, Stewart, what it does do is it impacts his overall field goal percentage, but it boosts his scoring, boosts his three-point value as well, and maybe gets him a few extra minutes. And it also, I think, helps Durin there, too, is that it is a good combination next to him um, as a last-round fly. But this three-point shooting from Isaiah Stewart feels, feels real, I think, would be... Yeah, it feels like he's going to continue to do it. Probably not 10 attempts per game, and he's probably not making four of them a game. But he could hit two a game. He could go two of six on average. And that's pretty big. That might push his scoring to 15 a game. 15 and 7, 1.3 blocks. It does hurt his field goal percentage. That's what happens with bigs, that sometimes the addition of the three-point volume decreases their field goal percentage, so their overall value stays awash. But we'll see. It might actually lead to Stewart playing more minutes, though, which then overall improves his overall, I said overall twice then, um, fantasy value. In Boston... Sam Hauser and Derek White look like they're going to have some interesting roles. We know there are injuries there. No Gallinari, no Rob Williams. Hauser, really good shooter. He's only probably going to play 13 or 14 minutes a night, but he's going to play. And he's going to be a guy that in deeper leagues has value as a guy that... We talk about streaming threes all the time. This guy might score nine points a game with two threes. He might score nine points a game with three threes a game. He might be like a Steve Novak where every shot is from three. And coming into space when your other combination is Horford and Williams, who are okay, but they're not spaces. You're filling that Gallinari role. That can be useful when you're looking for, hey, who's a chief source of threes here? Oh my God, Sam Hauser went off again for 15 points with five threes. I'll say that a couple of times this season, I'm pretty sure. And they are starting Derek White. Now, Derek White, when he came over in that trade last season, um, Imo Yudoka didn't really use him much. He'd play like 22, 23 minutes off the bench. 24 some games, sometimes he'd play 20. And I thought, all right, well, Brogdon arriving here, that's going to hurt his value a lot. But Joe Missoula seems to be liking White. White is going to start, it appears, ahead of Grant Williams and ahead of Malcolm Brogdon. And I, I do like Derek White. He's a really good contributor. His usage is going to be low, but he's worth maybe taking as a last round pick. Brogdon did get hurt last game. It's nothing serious. He'll be fine to go. But that risk is always there. And if Brogdon does actually get hurt and does miss time, then White's value is going to expand even further. But it looks like Missoula is using Derek White a little bit different to the way that MAU Doka did. Let's go to OKC now. And the Bronco, Jalen Williams. Broncos country, let's ride. He looks really good. Some people that I know that follow basketball a lot said that he has looked as to be their best player this season. Um... Well, this preseason, and I get it. Josh Giddy, I think, probably has been. Giddy. by the way, shooting um, like 50% from three. He looks really good out there. And we haven't seen Shea in that lineup, but Dort is now hurt. And I told you what I thought about Williams many times, is that I think that he will easily overtake Lou Dort at some point. And I said, I think there's a chance it could happen this season. Well, it's probably going to happen opening night. Now, whether he sticks in that role, I don't know. But all you need is a chance. And if he goes in there and plays well, he might just stay in that role. He's absolutely a draftable player. And then we see what happens. In fact, I think it's really, really possible, if not likely, that Bronco Williams here has more value early on than Tari Eason, Benedict Matherin, Jaden Ivey. I think it's really easy he can do that. He's efficient. He can score. He can pass. He can get steals. He's got a well-rounded fantasy game. And he's going to have opportunity, it appears. He looks ready. And it's everything. Well-rounded fantasy game. Roll. Bad team. It all is coming together for Bronco here. And he can play. Look, he played a lot of point guard in college, but he's long as. He's six six five, I think, with like a 7-foot wingspan. He's long. He can play the wing. And I think, I think he's a better player than Lou Dort. I think he will easily become a better player than Lou Dort. And now is the chance for him to take that role. In Brooklyn, De'Ron Sharp looked good. I thought he was, I, t- I talked about him a bit in the preseason saying, hey, he's their backup center. Don't be surprised if he pushes for minutes. And they brought Markeith Morris in. I went, oh, are they going to actually play Markeith Morris over Dayron Sharp? According to Adam Armbrecht on our live stream the other day, they, they probably won't. Claxons look pretty good too. But I think Sharp's look consistently better. I think Claxton is going to start. But Sharp's got a bit of shooting touch. He's an excellent rebounder. If you're in a 14-team league, I'd have Sharp on my roster. I grabbed him in my 30-deep league. But anything deeper than 12, Sharp probably should be grabbed just to see what happens. And is it really got to be close to the top of your watch list in 12-team leagues. I think he's looked really, really solid in the preseason. Jock Landau. He's been great. Like, honestly, he's been really good. And he is the backup center in Phoenix. He is, hold on to yourself, on to your dicks. He's the 14th ranked player in the preseason, Landau. He's averaging 14 and 7 with two blocks and 1.7 steals. Now, of course, 22 minutes isn't realistic. That level of shooting or block rate is not realistic. But I think he's going to be the backup center ahead of Bismarck Biombo. And he might get all of the backup center minutes, limiting Dario Saric to backup power forward. He might not, but he's looked awesome. And DeAndre Ayton could get traded at any point. Not that I think, not any point after January, not that I think Landale is necessarily a starting NBA center, but if Aiton is hurt at all, I, I'd be rushing to grab him. I think he's really good. Now, he might come in and get DMPs and they play Sharich and Tory Craig as the four and five, which I think would be a mistake. But I think with the way that Landale has played, and I forgot to bring that little graphic across. I think with um, the way that Landale has played, we have to think that you know, it's hard to ignore just how important or how impressive he has been in the preseason. And lastly, Russell Westbrook's floor is zero minutes. Not only has he looked bad in the preseason, the Lakers have other ball handlers, and Dennis Schroeder is going to be out to begin the year, but LeBron James is a point guard. Patrick Beverley can handle the ball. Kendrick Nunn can do it a little bit. Westbrook takes way more off the court or way more off the table than he puts on. Now he's hurt his hamstring. If he is traded to a bad team, I don't think he plays. They buy him out or send him home. I in a point league, I can get it taking a flyer, and I, even I get it in a category league with your last two three picks. But I legitimately think that there is a point this season where Russell Westbrook gets zero minutes, and of course that helps nobody. I. I it doesn't make sense for him to be... And the, the, by the way, the Lakers look dreadful. Their roster is terrible, and they look really bad. So we'll see if they can turn anything on. So maybe my guess of them being the uh, ninth seed in my projections yesterday is not accurate. I'm just hoping LeBron and Davis carry them that far, but they, they look terrible. So yeah, I'm uh, massively, massively out on um, on Russell Westbrook this season. Price of the brick going up. And that is a quick little recap. Of some stuff in preseason. Yes, there are other things that you might have wanted to talk about. DeJounte Murray looked pretty good. He only averaged five assists in preseason and we thought that would come down. Garland and Mitchell worked together, but there's gonna be a little bit of a dip there. As I said, Josh Giddy looked awesome. There was no shade. But the fact the thing with Giddy, and I want to talk a little bit about Giddy here, because in in the offseason all we heard, man, look at Josh Giddy. All these pickup runs. He is just pulling and bombing from three. And you just kept hearing a trick like, ah, I believe it when I say this happens in these runs all the time. And then we get to the preseason and he's doing the same thing and they're going in. You go, oh, this changes actually everything about him. Now in summer league, he, he shot poorly, but he is out there with usage, with pull-up threes, with three-point shooting accuracy and he's running the team and he looks great. So if any semblance of that three-point confidence and proficiency continues, uh, top 50 is e- easily possible for Giddy. We I thought Kenny Lofton showed some moments. Santiel Aldama looks like he'll be a starter in Memphis. There are plenty of things that we're going to talk I about. Mean, I'm going to talk some more about that, but there are 14 takeaways that I had from the NBA season. Drop whatever you took away from the preseason in the comments below and follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. And if you're on YouTube, I think you know what to do. You thumb it up and you leave those comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.